positive life skills with Jack Russell, helping you to find your purpose, your passion, and above all your plans. When I was at school, I often struggled. Struggled because I never felt I reached my true potential. Never felt that I unlocked what I had deep within me. And it was only when I did the Devices to Westminster at the age of 17 that I had a very deep episodal experience. The Devices to Westminster is 125 miles, um, often termed as one of the toughest canoe races in the world. And I'd done no training for this race and was asked to step in in the last week to take part. Everything was going incredibly well until we got to the Thames. It was early morning, it had just turned light, and there was a lighter barge. We were a mile and a half from Westminster, and I was exhausted. There were two of us in a kayak, and we came up alongside a barge. The barge was about 70 foot long, and there were four of them. And in that moment, in that single second, we just lost focus and concentration. And we capsized, and were dragged under by a really fast ebb-flowing current. Now, in that moment, I remember thinking, I'm going to die. This is it. Life's over. And I could feel my partner's feet kicking at the boat, attempting to release the boat and himself. And then it all went dark. It all went quiet. And I thought, this is it. I'm about to die. And in that moment, I saw my parents. I saw um, the school being told that we both drowned. I saw our parents on Westminster Bridge being told. And then suddenly, I found myself pushing up alongside the bottom of the barge underwater. We must have been underneath for about 60 seconds. And I was thinking, please, please, please just let me live. And I came up in between the two barges, and I could see daylight. And then it was a second chance. But the worry was if another boat came past, it would cause a wash, which would then push the two barges together. And again, I'd be uh, trapped, killed. Swam to the end of the, the barge, must have been about a 20, 20 foot swim. And I held onto a rope, waiting for my partner to come up. The boat came up, he didn't. In a vain attempt, I dived down to see if he was trapped. On a, um, on a rudder. He wasn't. I came up, I let go of the rope, and I swam down with the boat a mile and a half towards Westminster. About a minute later, he appeared, looking totally shocked. And we swam down for about half a mile, just missing the stanchions of the, of the River Thames bridges, petrified, 17 years old, realizing that we'd survived. And a safety boat picked us up and said, let me take you back to Westminster. But we knew we'd be disqualified if we did that. And so we were dropped on a bank. And I remember my father had run up. He was an army officer. He'd run back up. And he just shouted to us, get back in that boat. Do it now. And I remember shouting back at him, but we've almost died. And he said, just get back in the boat and finish. And we did. And in that moment, in that absolute moment, of saying, we're going to do this. We paddled the last mile or so back, um, and it changed my life. It changed my life totally. It was as if I'd had an amazing chance to, to live again and to do things differently. And from that moment on, I made a vow to 
carry on doing that race. Um, I've now done it 10 times, um, well over a thousand miles of, of, of competing. And it's been something that's been really dear to my heart, that whole concept that all of us, every single one of us has more than we care to perhaps put on show or, or believe we have. And so I spent the last 30 years, 40 years um, in professional work, working with over 100,000 people, looking at how to unlock people's potential, how to get people more confident, positive, motivated, how to have better relationships with, with people, and ultimately, how to get the best from self to get the best from others. It's taken me quite a while to work out my purpose, but my purpose now is constant improvement, constant improvement of self and constant improvement of others, ones that you love, ones that you work with, and ones that really mean the most to you. My passion has been the outdoors, and I have done some very exciting things. I've managed to ski to the North Pole. In the early days, I probably would have imagined none of this to be the case. Um, I've run outdoor centers. I've managed to work with some incredible teams, military teams, air ambulance crews, Formula One teams. Uh, I've worked with royalty. Uh, and all of these experiences have led me to sharing some of those um, thoughts, feelings with you today. And I want to share with you how we can get people more passionate, how we can get people happier, more fulfilled in life. Because we live in a world where we're talking constantly about mental health. And we look at our education system. We don't teach confidence. We don't teach self-belief. We don't teach motivation. We don't teach people to, how to have better relationships. In fact, we don't teach most young people how to unlock that true potential that every single person has. And in fact, many people for the rest of their lives stay within their comfort zones. They find it difficult to stretch, to say yes to life. We, we use words such as take care. We often never say take risks, not dangerous risks, but saying yes to things that will give us more and more experiences. And those positive experiences lead to confidence. So I'd like to share with you 10 podcasts of about half an hour each of where we can start to get the best from life. All of us have two minds, our conscious and our subconscious mind. And the conscious mind can often be very critical, very analytical. It's the one that wants to hold us back. It's the one that wants to uh, make sure that we keep safe. And it can only take in about seven bits of information at any one time, plus or minus two. And let me prove that to you. If I asked you to repeat back these numbers, five, four, seven, nine, 12, you'd probably be able to do it brilliantly. But if I asked you to repeat back these numbers, 72, 13, 12, 19, 64, 72, 81, you probably notice <laughs> that you could do the first few, but the rest were gone. And if I was to talk with your conscious mind, I wonder how many of you would listen to this and answer the question of either yes or no. Do you think you're good at singing? Do you think you're good at dancing? Do you think you're good at painting? Do you think you're good at drawing? Are you good at maths? Are you able to do challenging equations in your head? And probably for the majority of us, the answer was no. We hold ourselves back. 
And yet our subconscious takes in millions of bits of information. You'd have to send a signal from your brain to your heart saying, keep pumping. Or are you sitting there right now going, keep breathing, keep breathing? It happens automatically. And many of us put the wrong stuff into our subconscious. We put the wrong thoughts, the wrong feelings. We watch the wrong things on television, on the radio, talk to the wrong people. And those wrong strategies go in subconsciously. We sleep on them and they start to come out in our physiology. Because what we put into our psychology comes out in our physiology. So I always say to people, be really careful what you put into your subconscious. Your subconscious is like the C drive of your computer. Put the wrong stuff in and you get the wrong stuff up on the screen, which is your conscious mind. I've worked with Olympic athletes, as I've already mentioned. And to be world-class, you need to do something 10,000 times, 10,000 over 10,000 hours, and over 10 years. And for the mathematicians amongst you, that's two hours, 45 minutes a day. Call it three hours. If you did something consistently well, three hours a day, over the next 10 years, chances are you'd be world-class. And yet, what do most of us do on a daily basis? We put the wrong strategies into our subconscious. We put the wrong strategies in, day in, day out. We spend the wrong time with people that don't bring us up, that often bring us down. Those mood hoovers, energy thieves. So a little bit of an experiment was done with 1,600 children. And those 1,600 children were between the ages of three and five. And some psychologists in a book called Breakpoint and Beyond wanted to see what um, potential those young people had in terms of divergent thinking. They're often, young people aren't often held back by good, bad, easy, hard, beautiful, ugly, black, white. These young people just went ahead and did these tests. The children, as I've already mentioned, were three to five, 1,600. When they were given these tests, the psychologists found out that 98% were in the genius category for divergent thinking. These same young people between the ages of eight and 10 were given similar tests. Sadly, the scores went down to 32% were in the genius category for divergent thinking. The same young people between the ages of 13 to 15 were given these tests and that went to 10%. 200,000 adults over the age of 25 were given similar tests and the score was 2% were in the genius category. For the last 30 years, I've given thousands upon thousands of people tasks and I've asked them to achieve them. And what I've observed, and although I haven't written it down, but what I have observed over those years is that most people do the same old, same old. People have stopped thinking really creatively. People have stopped thinking in an, in an innovative way. In fact, our school, our education systems, I work a lot with head teachers. They'll often say our schools look at conformity and uniformity. You know, we like to get people to be the same. But our world's crying out for innovation and creativity. How can we use this incredible brain in a different way? Every single one of us has an onboard computer that's got 100 billion connections. It's capable of generating between 60 and 80,000 thoughts a day. This brain is phenomenal. And yet many of us don't always put the right strategies into our brain. We don't hydrate it enough. We don't exercise it enough. 
We don't put the right thoughts or feelings into that. And yet, if we could use this brain more effectively, where would we be? Where would we be if we started to use our brain for the good of our world in terms of climate, in terms of education, in terms of health, in terms of poverty, in terms of actually getting people happier and more motivated? Because at the moment, we're putting millions, if not billions, into mental illness. People are suffering from stress, anxiety, depression, and obsession. And if we could start to really use this brain effectively, how would it be? A few weeks ago, I went in to watch a brain operation, and I looked as surgeons operated in this brain. And having studied psychology, I was fascinated to see open brain surgery. And yet I couldn't help thinking of the potential that every single one of us have got. Right in our brain is a part called our RAS, our reticular activating system. This is effectively where we focus. Most people focus on what they don't want in life rather than what they do want in life. People will often say, I don't want to be unhappy. I don't want to put on weight and I don't want to get unwell. And what they do is they get sad, fat and ill. This amazing RAS, this part of our brain that focuses, can focus so much on the wrong thing unless we coach it and train it to think about the right thing. For years, I've coached kayaking. And I remember working with people saying, as you go down a whitewater river, whatever you do, don't focus on the big washing machine, the big stopper, the big hole that will just munch you up. And I'd watch people paddle down and be pulled into it. And I said to people, I told you not to go there. But the fact is, I focus their mind on going there. How many times have you seen people ski and there's one tree and they tell themselves, don't hit the tree. What do they do? Hit the tree. People who play golf, don't hit the ball in the sand trap. There it goes. How many times do we see people who get on a bike, they see a big rock and they think, I don't want to hit the rock. That's where they go. Focus on what you want, not on what you don't want. The brain is so set up to focus on the positive if we allow it to do that. But the majority of the time we're conditioned to focus on the negative. So look for where you want to go, not where you don't want to go. Focus on how you're going to get there. One of the things that I've always realized for, for a long time is that people use the word don't. They say, don't worry. The last thing the brain hears is worry. You know, don't fall. The last thing the brain hears is fall. Don't spill it, spill it. Ask people what you want. Keep the water in the glass. Stay on the wall. Most people, we use negative language and they'll process that in the brain. People, when they're asked how they are, will say, I'm fine. I'm F-I-N-E, feeling inwardly negative expression. When was the last time you heard somebody say, I'm teetering on the brink of pure perfection? Why don't we tell people we're well? Why don't we tell people we're good? Because if you put that into your psychology, it comes out in your physiology. How many times do you hear people say, well, I'm not too bad? What they're saying is I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. People will say, well, it's not a problem. Well, it's a problem, but not that much of a problem. People will say, no worries. What, so there are worries, but not that many. Focus on the positive rather than the negative. Put that in, and those 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day will start to manifest. A little way of maybe changing 
the next 21 days that you spend with people. On Monday, tell people you're marvelous. Tuesday, tremendous. Wednesday, wonderful. Thursday, terrific. Friday, fantastic. You know, Saturday, superb. And, and Sunday, you know, even more superb. But just look at what happens. Because we know that if we put it out there, the law of the boomerang comes back to us. You smile, they smile. If I said, they think about yawning, it touches her. Oh, that you're going to yawn. These synchronicity oscillators come back at us. And it's the law of tenfold. As you sow, you reap. As you throw out the boomerang, it comes back to you. So just think about what are you throwing out? What are you putting out there? What's this incredible brain doing as it starts to work with you? You see, most people react rather than respond. Most people will react to their world. I put up on a screen these huge letters in red, P-O-T-S. And I want you just to think about those. And I ask people to say the word POTS. POTS, spell it P-O-T-S. They're big, they're red. And then I ask people at the end, I say, what happens when you get to a green light? When most people shout out the word stop. They do that because they're reacting to that word backwards rather than responding to say go. And most of us react. All our language is reactionary. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. We're not really thinking about what we're saying. We're just saying it. So I'd ask you to really think about how you are. And you know what? If you're not great, why don't you tell people, I'm not good. But for the majority of the time, why don't you say, we're well, I'm good, I'm happy. Because the more you put it out there, the more you start to believe it. So today, I'd like to think about the bumblebee and end on this. Years ago, I used to run an outdoor center and it was on Dartmoor in Devon in England. And for years, I would notice that many people would get up into trees, high ropes courses, off an abseil, a climb, going down a river in a kayak, walking out on Dartmoor in the dark. And many people would tell me, I can't do it. Jack, I can't do it. I can't jump for that bar, you know, 40 feet up in the air. Can't do it. And I realized that people were lying to themselves because everyone has huge, huge superpower. Most of us can do the most incredible things. But as people used to do the leap of faith off platforms, they would suddenly grab the bar, realize that they could jump, you know, to hit a bar 40 feet off the ground. And I realized that people could go off an abseil in 100 foot up. And they started feeling good about themselves. They started feeling good about themselves because they could do more than they thought. Years later, I'm still doing that. I'm still putting people off abseils or up climbs um, or challenging people to do things, tasks I give people. Because when people tell themselves they can't, they're only hiding. They're hiding because they're so worried about what might happen their conscious, critical mind. In fact, I'll go into a room of seven-year-olds and I'll say, can I have a volunteer? And every single hand goes up. And then I'll go into a room of, say, 200 head teachers and I'll ask for a volunteer. And I'll get no eye contact because they're frightened. They're worried. But when somebody goes off an abseil or down a climb or whatever it is they do down a river, they suddenly have a moment which just thinks, I can do this. And providing it's, it's a safe positive experience, people start to feel confident. And over all the years that I've worked with people, I always ask, what is the one thing you want or need more of? 
And most people say, confidence. To be continued. <laughs>